with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. The International Monetary Fund has improved its outlook on global economic growth for this year, according to the IMF World Economic Outlook update for July. The global economy will expand by three percent this year and next, compared to its April forecast. The growth projection for 2023 have increased by 0.2 percentage points and remain unchanged for 2024. The IMF has upgraded its forecast for both advanced and emerging economies. The forecast for China is unchanged at 5.2 percent for 2023 and 4.5 percent for the year 2024. So, for more on this, join us on the line now are Dr. Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China, and also Ina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. So, Ina, actually, the IMF projecting 5.2 percent. Growth for China's economy this year, which is 2.2 percentage points higher than the IMF projection of global growth. So, what do you make of the latest view by the IMF on Chinese economy? Well, it's 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 tough. I mean, it, China's growth、uh, under this dual circulation、uh, policy depends on two things: one, stimulating internal、uh, demand, and that means jobs. And also、um, disposable income.、Uh, right now, it's a question of confidence.、Um, Chinese consumers have a tremendous; they have more savings than they've ever had in in their history. The、uh, question is, are they going to spend it? And it is absolutely necessary for the central government to bring up this level of of confidence in it. And you're that's why I do think that they will be making some moves. Uh, especially in the real estate industry, it'll bring more people on in terms of jobs as these companies、uh, rehire people that they let go in the past.、Um, but you know, there there are、uh, real headwinds, especially uh, with uh, youth unemployment, those coming out of college.、Um, the you know the the effects of the pandemic are still there in terms of、uh, jobs.、Uh, so you know, it, there's a lot of work to do. The the X factor. That I don't see reflected enough in reports like the IMF is the fact that China has the tools and the ability to make changes that other governments cannot could, could only dream of. I mean, the U.S. What do we talk about when we talk about the U.S.? We talk only about the Fed, all right? What they're doing over there.、Um, Congress is gridlocked. Uh, there's no way there's going to be additional stimulus packages. It's not even clear that they can agree on a budget.、Um, whereas China is uniquely focused on its domestic、uh, issues, so that leads into the second issue:、uh, getting、um, consumption up in China will lead to more investment from outside China.、Mm. Um, you know, because of the growth rates, etc. Uh, that's going to be the attractive element. Huge market that has potential and、uh, is expanding. You know, the Chinese government has indicated that it is going to be embarking on a much more aggressive、uh, fiscal and monetary policy.、Mm. So now, what do you think is the current state of China's economy? A demand from international market would be weakened, but what do you expect for domestic consumptions? Uh, the consensus now is that、uh, domestic demand is quite weak.、Uh, the weakness is mainly from the housing market and the less than expected、uh, uh, consumption.、Um, there are lots of talks about the reverse of monetary policy, which I don't think will be that aggressive. 
But uh, in the meeting of the political bureau, um, there were open acknowledge of the current situation, the short-term challenge and long-term challenge. And we have seen this kind of positive signal about a further expansion in the fiscal spending and also more projects in the housing sector. So I do believe that in the next three to six months, we'll see some major changes in the domestic sentiment. So then you mentioned the property sector. So what's the current state of it? How do you explain the message from the recent meeting of uh, Political Bureau about the property sector, especially those uh, regarding discussions in optimizing policies in the property market and also addressing the financial risk in the broader economy? And the big background for China's property sector is that there is a pressure for housing prices to further go down. And this is not just a small city phenomenon. Even in larger cities, in many districts, um, this has become a problem. Um, Overall, the large cities perform better than lower tier cities. Um, for example, like uh, uh, Chengdu, Shanghai, Hangzhou, Ningbo, they have uh, seen further expansion in housing investment. And for most parts in those cities, the housing prices actually went up. Uh, except for Shanghai, all, recorded, all the other cities recorded a positive population uh, growth in 2022. So there was a foundation for further growth in housing sector for Chinese cities. But uh, when it comes to um, where the growth can be, um, that's uh, probably have to rest on further investment from the government side rather than the private side. Mm. Uh, in the meeting of the political bureau, uh, there were talks about shantytown innovation, and there will be more of such focus on affordable housing and low-cost rental housing. Um, for commercial home building, it is still focusing on finishing the ongoing construction in order to cater for the consumers that already paid for their homes. Mm. And then so the government also pledged to invigorate the capital market and boost investors' confidence. So what efforts can be made on this front? And how important is the capital market to boost the economy, especially the uh, private economy? And the capital market is quite key to provide a long-term financing for the private sector. Uh, in China, it is still difficult for the private companies to secure long-term finance um, because they still have to rely on commercial banks' lending. They need to use collateral to borrow, but as we can see that the value of housing has been going down in the past few years, so it's getting harder for them. Um, the development of capital market will help the private sector to raise funds to finance various long-term projects, especially for the high-tech sector. And for the government, um, now what they have been doing is trying to boost the confidence uh, for people to have the courage again to go back to the stock market. Um, there are uh, already significant change in the past few days since the meeting of the political bureau, because it was the first time that the top leadership ever mentioned to invigorate the capital market. Um, maybe there will be more of the public funding going in, including pension. And state-owned enterprises might have to try harder to improve their profits and also their holding in, uh, in the stock market. Uh, overall, the fundamental is still the uh, market confidence, and that depends on the outlook for Chinese economy. Mm -hmm. And so, Aina, so for private sector, besides financing, what other support do they need? 
the support is already there. You're starting to, you've already seen a series of IRR cuts, which allow the banks to, uh, to have more liquidity to lend out. You've also seen uh, the government cutting aggressively at red tape and also taxes. Uh, this allows uh, companies to, you know, um, see more profit at the end of their uh, of their efforts and things like that. But, you know, there's going to have to be some new tools that are developed Uh, right now. You know, uh, what Dan Dan was talking about in terms of uh, private entities, you know, the the logical part of that is going to the bond market, floating bonds at uh, lower interest rates that are picked up uh, by uh, regular consumers, et cetera, uh, gives them a, a very safe investment as long as everything is very transparent. This is one of the areas where people really have to understand that China really does do it step by step. I have great hopes that uh, you are going to see uh, some uh, new areas. Uh, obviously, uh, the capital markets have to have more transparency rather than less. Uh, putting that onto the SOEs, uh, making sure that they're conforming, becoming more economic entities rather than political ones uh, could uh, significantly reduce, I mean, increase investor confidence, especially outside investors uh, who will start looking at this as a sign that uh, China is, in fact, uh, opening it up. Uh, their situation that combined with uh, what's happening in in terms of EU on and these um, you know these currency swaps and things like that as China continues to try to press for new markets to replace old markets that are becoming problematic because of geopolitical issues. Mm-hmm. And so then the government stressed the need to support the integration of digital economy and manufacturing as well as the importance of the safe development of artificial intelligence. So where do you see the future of this uh, digital economy headed for the rest of the year? Um, Digital economy, uh, together with the power sector and energy sector, will continue to be a driver for uh, infrastructure investment this year. Um, There are different estimates on how much China would spend in the next five years. And we can see that from China uh, China Academy of Information and Communications Technology that China in during 2021 to 2025, China will invest 1 trillion yuan into digital infrastructure. Around 10% of uh, the total infrastructure investment would be in digital economy. And this will basically support the demand for the upstream manufacturing sector. And... The ICT sector in general this year is facing some headwinds from the demand side because domestic consumer is postponing their consumption for electronics and other types of household uh, appliances. Um, But uh, the growth for ICT sector investment still outpaced uh, overall FA, uh, uh, the fixed asset investment growth, and that is the positive sign. Mm. And so, Aina, so I do want to take a look at the longer term for China's economy because there will always be short-term economic and business fluctuations in any economy. But long-term, do you see that consistent focus on China pursuing the high-quality development? And higher-quality development with the focus is not just about hitting the GDP target, right? So how do you see China's transition to the green economy, solar panel, and NEVs development? 
Well, everything you're talking about is is part of this uh, new digital economy that's emerging, and they have this digital 4.0 standard. Um, and what the, people really have to get their head around this, because what it does is improves efficiency. It puts less stress on the labor component uh, when you have um, these you know, tools, that real, real-time dashboards that allow you to not only um, order what you need more efficiently, but the factory production floor floor is going to operate more efficiently with less labor, and also your logistics are going to be there. Then you couple that with what China is doing in terms of uh, reducing the costs of transactions. This puts China in a very favorable position. I think a lot of people have been surprised that more uh, industries have not flowed out of China. Uh, and the reason, you know, despite the fact that there's a higher, higher labor uh, cost in China, and a lot of that has to do with this cluster development, which has developed in the past, but also the adoption of new um, uh, technology. I mean, if you start looking at the number of robots mm. uh, that are being sold internationally and those put into China, uh, you know, China's over half the market. So uh, that really bodes very well for China's competitiveness. And remember, when we start talking about uh, all this stuff, it's comparative. How is China doing vis-a-vis Global South um, and then the developed nations? And right now, China still has the tools. They have the huge market. Uh, which the U.S. is cutting itself out of by, you know, investment restrictions and technology restrictions. So, uh, you know, the international investment community is going to be looking very carefully at that, and they're going to say, okay, who's going to win? If the U.S., if you build something in the U.S. and uh, a chip uh, factory, and it's going to cost you 30% more for that chip Mm. that you could buy directly from Taiwan, same thing, all right, is the U.S. long-term, uh, a viable entity is a competitive versus China, which is going to develop its own technology and given its ability to turn out, um, you know, on that mass volumes, plus having the market um, and a very, very successful consumer focused uh, driven approach. Um, it really does tilt the balance and uh, even medium and long term in, in terms of China's favor. Mm. And this is long term. So then, so short term, what do you think are the primary economic tasks that China aims to achieve for the second half of this year? Um, the second half of the year will have a much better performance than the first half. And there's a consensus on that in the market already. Um, the uncertainty at this point is when the stimulus package will come out. Uh, we don't believe that there will be a very aggressive one, but monetary expansion is expected. There will be at least once or twice of rate cuts uh, targeting to lower the cost of borrowing, uh, not just for corporates, but also for households. Mm. Um, housing sector will also see more of a targeted um, support. Local government will have more freedom on what kind of policy they would like to pursue. So I think the policies will be in favor for the short-term investment. Mm-hmm. Well, we're speaking with Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China, and also Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And after a short break, we'll continue to talk about the global economy. Stay with us. Welcome. I'm Ilaf Elard, economics professor and member of the Data Science and AI Center at New York University, Shanghai. On the World Today program, you can find in-depth and impartial insight 
as well as critical commentary on key trends in the Chinese economy, financial technology, business, and blockchain. To prepare for the world tomorrow, join me on World Today. D-Dime, a podcast of CGT Radio. We go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. On global economy, the IMF growth forecast for 2023 to 2024 is still weak by historical standards, well below the annual average of 3.8 percent seen in the year 2000 to the year 2019. The IMF forecasts that the global inflation would fall to 6.8 percent this year. Meanwhile, it is also warning about the adverse factors in the global economic outlook, including persisting inflation, financial market repricing, rising debt levels, and deepening geoeconomic fragmentation. So, Anna, given all these factors, what do you think could be the single biggest risk facing the global economy? Unfortunately, it's、uh, political. It's not economic.、Uh, the economics are there.、Uh, what we're talking about here is what happens in Ukraine.、Uh, what the United States does、uh, as it leads into this election, whether they、uh, start trying to,、um, you know, blame China for all of the issues that have been building building up in the United States over these many many years. So those that's the、uh, the unknown factor. The economics,、uh, you know, we we all understand what they are. It's、uh, battling inflation,、uh, but the Fed,、um, you know, I, as I've said before, I completely disagree with their things. They've raised it、uh, another 25 basis points. They're、mm. talking about another 25 basis points in September, and that is going to have a, a real、uh, serious effect. I mean, the the U.S. right now is there's a lot of、uh, cash crunch. There's a lot of、uh, demand. People are going forward, but if you start looking. At、uh, the consumer debt, which is just all you know through the roof, and you start looking at the、uh, finances of individual cities and states, they're not good.、Uh, tax collections just simply aren't where they need to be, and、uh, all those entities that、uh, invested in、uh, have substantial holdings of U.S. Treasuries beyond、uh, two or three years have basically you know they have toxic assets. They、uh, either have to realize losses if they have to use the money,、um, or they're going to have to.、Uh, You know, just wait it out and hope that、uh, the market comes down in a few years and that they don't have to take the hit. But you know, you start combining these things, it's not really good for the U.S. side. And the U.S. side has an impact、uh, globally because of the amount of demand, four and a half percent of the world's population consuming almost twenty percent of the world's GDP. Even if that's cut by a little, it has a tremendous effect. And you're seeing that already uh, with uh, China and、uh, ASEAN. The the amount of, of goods being shipped to the U.S. is down. Down,、um, and you know, you, those are things that、uh, you cannot control.、Mm. And so, Dan, so you are an economist. From your perspective,、uh, what is the biggest risk facing the global economy? Inflation, definitely inflation.、Um, because、uh, although we see the inflation pressure going down in the Western world,、um, there is still a lot of incentive for central banks to raise interest rate. There has been the capital outflow from the emerging markets and the rest of the world back to this、uh, developed world because of the interest rate difference, and that has caused long-term stress for the debts、um, for countries that are deeply in debt. 
and for firms in those countries that borrow in foreign currencies. And for the developed world, they are also the main consumers for uh, exporting economies. And many of the economies in Asia are under huge pressure because of demand drop in uh, Europe and in the U.S. Mm. So I think this might uh, sustain for a while because uh, the Ukraine crisis uh, probably will not end anytime soon. And that means the Federal Reserve still have more incentive to raise interest rates just in case that inflation can become a, a permanent phenomenon. And for the European Central Bank, their narrative hasn't changed. They're very strong in holding up their position of taking down the inflation. Mm. So I do believe that uh, um, next year we'll probably see a further recession pressure in those markets. Mm. So then, so actually, both you and uh, Ina mentioned the U.S. Federal Reserve raised the interest rate again by 25 basis points. So it has some impact on the emerging economies and low-income uh, countries. So how concerned should we be about these economies in the uncertain economic times? And especially we see you know, the advanced economy like the U.S. continue to raise the interest rate and a lot of the debt held by this emerging market economies is denominated in the U.S. dollars, right? That's very much the case. As man many emerging market firms finance themselves with foreign currency debt, uh, in the past 10 years, about 20% of the outstanding debt uh, held by firms in emerging markets were in foreign currencies. The majority was in U.S. dollars. Uh, a part of the risk of rising interest rates, foreign currencies, especially safe haven currencies, appreciated big time against the local currency during downturns. And this situation seemed to have this tendency to get worse rather than get better. Um, there are different studies now showing that many firms that borrow in foreign currency are neither uh, exporters, nor do they employ uh, local currency hedge. So as a result, they are exposed. If there's further appreciation in dollar, for example, then many of those firms in emerging markets will face the difficulty in actually making any profits. And that can be a big concern for economic recovery. Mm -hmm. And Aina, so for the global economy, the IMF says a growth remains weak by historical standards. The annual average growth between 2000 and the year 2019 was 3.8%, but they are projecting 3% growth for this year. So are we entering into a new normal of slower global growth? Well, I, I, yes, uh, but the question is, what are the components of that? Mm. Uh, I don't think that it's uh, going to be China that is uh, lagging behind. Actually, China and the uh, global South, ASEAN, etc., are doing much better than the developed uh, economies, and I think that continues. And to, to give you a sense of that, uh, there's something called the visual capitalist. Uh, they put out uh, visualizations of what's happening, and they recently had a, um, a, a graph showing what industries are expanding versus contracting. And if you look at the United States, uh, the uh, industry manufacturing continues to have double-digit uh, dips, whereas um, you know services continue to go up. But if you start looking at those services, uh, medical care and things like that, these are transfer payments. And they're also the areas where you're seeing the most inflation in terms of wages. So you have uh, um, entities within your um, 
economy, which are not linked to productivity, they're transfer payments, where the amount of money it continues to go up. And that's why I think the hardcore inflation uh, for both Europe and the U.S. is coming from. And that <clears throat> isn't something that you can battle with uh, these interest rate uh, hikes. And I think there has to be a, a realization of that. So, you know, long term, uh, you know, the, the situation is that the, the developed countries are going to have much slower growth. They're going to be a drag, not a leader on the global economy. And that's going to be the new normal. Mm-hmm. And so, Aina, the IMF said the world trade growth is declining and will reach just 2 percent this year. So what do you think are main reasons of that? Well, they're artificial. Uh, it's it's really uh, these uh, tariffs, etc., these uh, blockading of uh, the normal flow of capital and goods uh, around the world uh, based on geopolitical uh, issues with the United States. I think that China is transitioning uh, away from uh, the developed world towards uh, areas like ASEAN and the uh, global south. We've, we've seen um, very large gains in those areas. There's no reason why it won't continue. But overall, I, you know, people talk about technology and this and that. You know, I, I push that aside. Technology is a tool that can make you more competitive. And what I see globally is that China is adopting the tools that will make it more competitive uh, in this digital 4.0. And that is going to be the deciding factor. Uh, I keep going back, the U.S. cannot produce uh, competitively. So it can buy up its own stuff, but that means that they're just going to be poorer and that inflation is going to be higher. Whereas China is uh, looking globally to be competitive, the U.S. is looking to cripple anybody who gets in their way. I think these um, very different approaches to the market uh, historically have shown that the, the country that's competitive wins, not the one who's trying to prevent it. Mm-hmm. And globally, Aina, when do you think can inflation come down to central bankers' targets and the current cycle of money retirement will end? Well, I don't think it's going to come down in the developed world because they cannot deal with the uh, the wage inflation that they have in the service sector that are unconnected to productivity. So that is not going to go away. So I see them continuing to eat away at themselves as they try to control inflation to this uh, artificial number of 2% uh, without results until uh, there's a, you know, an epiphany, an awakening. And they realize that uh, they have to uh, go at this a different way, that the U.S. has to start being competitive. It can't simply try to block other entities. So uh, that, to me, is the key. The rest of the world is going to go on. Uh, China has these uh, huge trade groups, whether it's Belt and Road or the RCEP, uh, where they are uh, making headway. Uh, and that will be the new leading economy as uh, until uh, the developed economies wake up. Mm. Well, we're speaking with Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute, and also Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening. Music